Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, my name's Aaron. I have the joy of getting to be a part of the team uh, here at Wellspring. If you're a kid and want to hang out with some other kids, over to my left over here in the back. There's some amazing folks over here that would love to spend some time with you this morning. It's good to see all of you. It's awesome to be together this morning. And for the rest of us, while we're here together this morning, we're going to continue on in our series uh, through ABLE. It's really ABLE is, if you've been around here for any length of time, it's the way that we primarily talk about discipleship and what it means to practice the way of Jesus. A, standing for attend. Practices habits that kind of orient and index our hearts to attend to the person voice of Jesus. Be blessed. What does it look like to bless people both inside and outside the church? Today we're going to be talking about L, learn, but just real quickly, E stands for eat. It's kind of our way of talking about community, talking about, you know, what does it look like to eat with people both inside and outside the church in order to build connection and relationship as we seek to practice the way of Jesus together. But like I said this morning, we're going to be talking about that third letter, L, in particular, learning from the scriptures, you know, as followers of Jesus, as God's people, I find it, I believe you know, a lot of us would agree that being a people grounded and rooted in the scriptures is of utmost importance. And what does it look like? What does it mean for us as God's people here in the 21st century to practice the way of Jesus as a community that learns the scriptures? You know, many of you probably already know this, but the word disciple, mathetes in Greek, is a word that means simply a one who's a learner. And as followers of Jesus, we are to be people that are learning primarily from the truth of Jesus as revealed to us in the scriptures. But I don't know about you, you know, the Bible or like go read your Bible. If you've been around church, not even just Wellspring, but just maybe if you've had any sort of background in the church, it doesn't take long before the pastor gets up and says, go read your Bible, Right? You can't go without a week or two without that sort of exhortation coming from, you know, some, you know, way, shape, or form. And my goal here this morning is not to just, you know, come at you with, okay, by the end of the day, how much Bible reading can you go do this week? Like, you really need to up your, you know, Bible reading game this morning. You know, turn off everything else and just, you know, hunker down and read the book of Leviticus for fun the rest of the week. You know, that's not my goal th this morning. But rather, my prayer, my hope is that, that by, by the leading and guiding of the Spirit, that, that God would stir our affections. God, God would stir our hearts for a deeper love and commitment and reliance on God's Word. A deeper passion and a deeper longing to, yes, be a learner, but be a learner that is transformed more into the person of Jesus from the truth of His words. You know, growing up in the church, you know, I had amazing parents, loved them to death. And I remember, <laughs> I remember, <laughs> it's not even like a sad story, it's like, <laughs> I remember almost every single morning, getting up, walking down the stairs, and I can still picture it, because it's still happening. It probably happened this morning. My mom sitting on the couch, Bible open, and my dad in his office in the room adjacent, Bible open, reading the scriptures. And that, that image, that has stuck with me. You know, having, and it wasn't just the fact that they read their Bibles, it's that they had the character and the 
the Jesus-like posture to match it. And they were a people, and they are a people that are formed and shaped by God's word. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but that's my prayer. That's my hope is that we would be these kinds of people that are so reliant on the scriptures. And that as a little boy coming down the stairs where I thought most mornings, especially in middle school and high school, like, what a waste of time, you know? I'd rather, you know, go play baseball or go hang out with my friends than read this ancient text. And that was primarily my relationship with the Bible for most of my childhood. I wasn't like a total rebellious kid, but my really only connection with the Bible was other than seeing my parents have this deep love and commitment for the scriptures, my sort of relationship was more along the lines of I loved baseball growing up. And so I'd write Philippians 4.13 on the bottom of my baseball hat. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which translated into my, you know, version was I can hit a home run through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Right? So a total hijacking of God's word to suit my own purposes. But that was sort of my sort of relationship with the Bible growing up in the church. But it wasn't until the end of my, the summer going into my junior year of college. I was about to head off. I started at community college. I was about to transfer and head off to the University of Washington in Seattle. The first time I was really going to move away from being in my parents' home. And I remember we were with our young adults group of the church I grew up in. We took a camping trip out to the San Juan Islands up in the Pacific Northwest amazing, amazing place, especially in the summer. We were out there at Friday Harbor. We spent the whole kind of afternoon and the whole day really canoeing or kayaking, sorry, out in the San Juan Islands, just kind of out in the ocean. We could see, you know, killer whales out in the distance, just the beautiful panoramic scene that you just can't compete with. It's just amazing up there in the summer. But I remember that evening on the first, after the first full day there, our pastor, who was still a great friend and a huge mentor to me, was leading our sort of, you know, campfire sort of Bible study. And I remember, and I can still picture, me sitting there, and he's talking about the importance of the scriptures. And the importance for people to have their sort of compass, if you will, directed by God's word. And he gets up with one of those campfire lanterns. And begins to talk about Psalm 119, verse 105, that says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he begins to walk around. And he's talking about just as a young person, not knowing about my future and what God was going to do. Just the importance of God's word being the lamp unto my feet. Just for that next step. You know, not like this like beam of light that was going to give everything I ever wanted to know about the future. But the, the light that I needed, the lamp that I needed for that next step that whatever God had for me right in front of me. And that was key and keyly tied to the importance of God's word. That your word, God's word, is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto my path. And for whatever reason, by, by God's grace and God's mercy, that moment just completely hit me in the best sense. Where all of a sudden, my, my affections and desires for God's word, I just begin to just start reading the scriptures really on my own for the very first time. And begin to have like this hunger for understanding a little bit more, like, what is God trying to say through these ancient texts? What does God have for us as his people through the scriptures? And I begin reading the gospels and, you know, learning more about the person of Jesus. I remember our young adults group was going through the book of Hebrews, and it was this weird sort of experience, like, the author of Hebrews really is riffing back on the Old Testament, all these, like, sacrifices, and then personally reading the gospels on my own, just really in depth for the very first time, and noticing Jesus and many things about Jesus, but one thing that really honestly stood out was his constant alluding to and quoting from and talking about the Bible and how important it was for him. And so I begin to really understand for the first time that as a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus 
would, would kind of necessitate that I too would be a person that followed Jesus in engaging with the scriptures just as Jesus did. And so when people ask me, like, why do you love the Bible? Like, why read the Bible? Why is it important to read the Bible? My first sort of knee-jerk answer is not to say, oh, it's because it's God's word. Oh, it's because it's this, you know, book that has come down from heaven and we are to follow it. And, and all, you know, while I believe 100%, yes, the Bible is God's inspired word. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God, for sure. The primary reason when people ask why read the scriptures is because, number one, I'm a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to pattern my life after his. And one of the main ways we do that is with engagement with the scriptures. That's why I love what Andrew Wilson says this. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. I love him and I have decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or some of my answers remain unpopular. And so this, as followers of Jesus, is, I, I believe, the invitation, the call to follow Jesus in this manner. And so for the rest of our time today, what I want to do is talk about how might we engage the scriptures as best we can, yes, imperfectly, as Jesus would want us to engage with the scriptures. Because the reason is, we follow him. And so I have like this little sentence that will kind of, kind of guide the rest of our time this morning to kind of orient what we're going to be talking about. So here it is, put it up on the screen. The Bible is to be read, number one, as a library that tells the redemptive story of Jesus. That number two leads to transformation and obedience in the way of Jesus, that, why, that might we, number three, be continually nourished by the person of Jesus. So the Bible is a redemptive story, a library that tells a redemptive story, that leads to obedience and transformation in the way of Jesus, that number three, we won't be continually nourished by the person of Jesus. Now we'll keep throwing this slide up as we go along, but the short kind of version of this is simply this, story-formed nourishment. Story-formed nourishment. Let's kind of pick this apart one by one. The first one, the Bible is a redemptive, or library that is a redemptive story of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount kind of has this famous line, Matthew 5, 17. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, when Jesus uses that phrase, the law and the prophets, that's kind of stock first century Jewish language of talking about the Old Testament, the Bible of his day. And so when Jesus is referring to the Bible as the law and the prophets, Jesus would probably not have encountered the scriptures in like a bound up codex like I'm holding this morning. The way Jesus would have most likely engaged the scriptures would have been through a variety of scrolls. The Genesis scroll, the Isaiah scroll, the scroll of the Psalms. And as Jesus was engaging with these different texts and these different scrolls, one of the things that kind of really is evident is that what Jesus and what we are dealing with is a diverse collection of different types of literary genres, like a library. So this is why I think it's important. Like when I think about engaging with the Bible, one of the first things I often think about is that I'm walking into an ancient library. You know, just recently the Pacific Grove Library just finally reopened, and I finally got a chance to go inside myself, right, and see it newly remodeled. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And but when I walk into that library, you know, it's organized and set apart with different sections, right? There's the nonfiction section over here. There's the fiction section over here. There's magazines and periodicals over here. There's the kids section over here. And even within the nonfiction section, it's all organized and categorized by different types 
of genres, of different types of literature. And the way that I engage with the type over here is going to be different from how I engage with a different sort of piece of literature over here. For example, a few books that I got recently, we'll throw them up on the screen. Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Ann Dillard, Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, and then a book by Augustine, Confessions. Now, all three of these different books, if I were to engage sort of like Augustine's work, the same way I engaged the Brothers Karamazov, which is a beautiful literary work of fiction, if I did it the exact same way, my expectations and my results would be off. Does that sort of make sense? I don't approach a work of fiction the same way I approach a work of like a biography or like historical narrative. There's different sort of, you know, I don't really like the term, but sort of different sort of rules to the game, if you will. And I think it's important to recognize that as we engage with Scripture, we're not engaging the same type of literature all throughout from Genesis all the way through Revelation. There's various types of literature. Maybe another sort of example to help with this. On Fridays, I usually do the grocery shopping for us as a family. And Cheyenne and I recently, so Cheyenne makes the grocery list, I do the grocery shopping, but a few weeks ago we had a little kerfuffle, if you will. <laughs> Call it that. And so what happened was, so Cheyenne has this amazing app called Paprika, and it basically takes all of like, her recipes, and then with a couple clicks of a button, turns them into a grocery list. So it's really simple. You just kind of go through there, five or six things we're going to have this week, hit the few buttons, and then boom, out pops a grocery list. I take that grocery list, and it's up to me to interpret that grocery list faithfully at the grocery store at Trader Joe's <laughs> to make sure I come back with the right <laughs> ingredients. But what happens, and this is the lesson that I've learned, is that the genre of a cooking recipe is different than the genre of a grocery list. Because oftentimes, what sometimes happens is that the recipe basically just comes straight across onto the grocery list. So for example, the other day I'm up there at Trader Joe's in the produce section, I look at the list, and it says juice from a lemon. I'm like, okay, got to find juice from, ju like lemon juice, is how I interpret that. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there in the produce section, and there's lemons, but there's no juice, lemon juice. <laughs> But here's the thing, this is important, this is important. <laughs> because here's, here's, my, here's my reasoning. <laughs> I, my first job out of high school, I worked in the produce department at Safeway, and we stocked lemon juice bottles, right? So they do exist, <laughs> So I was bringing my prior experience, my assumptions, onto the text of the grocery list, and I was interpreting the grocery, the recipe, literally. And that got me in trouble because a few days later, Cheyenne's there cooking in the kitchen, and she goes, where's the lemon? And I'm like, what lemon? You said juice from a lemon. There wasn't any lemon juice. <laughs> and so we, we didn't have lemon juice that day. But the point, though, the point is this, is that when I bring my prior assumptions to a text like that, it can lead to misinterpretation. And when I don't recognize that what I'm actually reading is a different type of genre, recipes to grocery store lists can be different even though they're similar. And I think sometimes we kind of get in trouble when we read the scriptures of imposing both our prior assumptions on the text and not recognizing what type of literature we're actually dealing with. And it, it, it takes, you know, obviously community and learning together. I think one practical way to kind of grow in this, 
the Bible Project has some amazing videos. They're just called How to Read the Bible. And they work through different types of genres in the scripture in like five to seven minute videos that are really informative and really helpful for engaging with the text. Now, I just point that out as this, in this first point to recognize that as followers of Jesus, we are engaging with a collection of different texts that are different genres that, yes, still speak God's word to us today. But even more than that, the Bible, yes, is a library, but it's also a library that tells one redemptive unified story fulfilled in Jesus. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to what? Fulfill them. By implication in that, what Jesus is getting at is the Bible is telling this story that Jesus himself claims to be fulfilling. That the climax, the centerpiece, where this whole enchilada is going, is centered around the person of Jesus. And so here's, here's why this is important. Primarily, I don't think, we are to engage the Bible as primarily a theological dictionary. You know, look up, like, what does the Bible say about this sort of doctrine? We're not primarily to engage the Bible as like a moral rule book. Well, yes, both. The Bible does address theological questions and, yes, does address moral concerns. We're going to talk about that in a second. The primary way the Bible communicates is through story. The first words of Scripture, in the beginning, and some of the last lines of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we will reign with him forever and ever. In the beginning, forever and ever. It's a story. It's telling, the Bible is telling the one true redemptive story of what God is doing to reconcile and redeem and to make all things new around the person of Jesus. The Bible is telling the one redemptive story of what the Father is doing in the Son through the power of the Spirit to bring us from darkness to light that we might enjoy God's all new things that he is making. But here's the thing. Here's where this is important. Is that as followers of Jesus, we are invited and called to participate in this story, God's story, not force God to fit into our story. And that as we're engaging with this library that tells the story, the invitation is constantly, will we align ourselves with the story of God? Will we align ourselves with God's redemptive purposes rather than impose my expectations and my agenda and my desires on God's plans for me? And this is why this is extremely important. N.T. Wright talks about the Bible being like a five-act play where we've been given with the Old Testament and the early parts of Scripture and the Gospels and Acts like the first four acts of a great play. And we've also been given how the story ends, like the final scene of the last act, when God comes to redeem and make all things new. And we know how the story ends. No more suffering, pain, death, and tears. He will wipe away every tear. So we have the, like, the majority of the story that comes before, and we have the last little chapter, if you will. But our job as followers of Jesus is to enter in as participants of God's story, recognizing and learning the parts that come before, knowing how the story ends, so that we might participate in a way that aligns with how this play, how this story is progressing. And this leads to this second point, where yes, the Bible is telling a redemptive story, but number two, it does call us to formation and obedience. We don't just get to make up whatever we want to make up as we go along. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 7. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew a beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone or anyone 
who does not do these things, who does not put these words into practice, Jesus says, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it crumbled. Why? Because that foundation was not built on the rock. What is Jesus saying here? That for followers of Jesus, not just about knowing the right things or even reading a bunch of texts or even memorizing a bunch of texts or even preaching sermons on the scriptures. For followers of Jesus, he calls us to do what he has taught us. It's what James 1 talks about, right? Do not merely hear the word, but be doers of the word. For the person who just like listens or hears the word is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror looks intently as someone in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. But the one, James says, who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty actually finds freedom. That there's freedom found in pattering our lives and obeying the teachings of Scripture. That is where true freedom is found. And my point here, the point here is very simple. That as we engage with the scriptures, yes, as a redemptive story, the call is towards formation and obedience in the way of Jesus. That our lives are becoming increasingly more and more conformed into the person of Jesus himself. But here's the tricky thing. We often don't like talking about obedience. If we're really honest. There's often one or two areas perhaps in our lives where when we engage with the scriptures I don't know about that part. I'll just conveniently sidestep or ignore this or ignore that. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says this, if your God or the scriptures never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And so there's a level here of as we engage the text, as we engage the text even this week, do we ever expect to be confronted and challenged that perhaps some of the ways that I'm thinking or living or acting may not actually align with the teachings of Jesus. That the scriptures are not merely just to give us information, are not just merely to give us, you know, inspiring stories, but yes, in so many different ways, at various points in our lives, God's word, out of his abundant love, confronts and challenges us. That we might not continue down paths that are just so self-absorbed that we might actually, as James 1 just said, be set free. Set free from those patterns and ideas and thoughts that do not align with God's perfect life-giving word. And this is where I want to briefly connect what we've just talked about here, this, this call to obedience with this idea of the Bible as a story. So individually, as followers of Jesus, 1 John 3 talks about that there's coming a day where we will see him face to face. 1 John 3, 1 and following says, we will see him face to face and we will be like him. There is this, in a sense, this ultimate transformation that awaits. Just gazing and being in the presence of Jesus. Being with him and seeing him as he truly is. I'll just pause for a moment and think about that. Think about that glorious day that awaits each and every one of you as followers of Jesus. we are going to be with him and see him as he truly is and that we are going to be like him. 1 John 3. That is your future 
that is ultimate reality for you as a follower of Jesus. And I, I pray and I hope that that is in, in an increasing hope for each of us. Looking forward to that day where we will see him face to face. Think about that. But John doesn't stop there and leave that just in the future. As 1 John 3 continues, John says in the next line, for everyone who has this hope, meaning now, purifies himself now in preparation. Meaning this, that for those of us who know our ultimate destiny, that we will be like him, we will be with him. 1 John 3 says, right now, live into that reality now. Be the kind of person that by the power of the Spirit is living into what will ultimately be true of you one day. That one day when the story ends, as Jesus wipes away every tear, as we are reconciled fully with him in his presence, as we are seated in the heavenlies, even right now, Ephesians 1 says, the invitation of scripture is to align our lives into that reality now by the power of the Spirit. That how the story ends informs how we live and practice the way of Jesus now in the present. To use theology terms, our eschatology, the last things, informs our ethics for today. And the two go together. So the Bible is, yes, a library that tells the redemptive story of Jesus, number one. The Bible, number two, is to lead to our formation and obedience in the way of Jesus. To Then, number three, that we would be continually nourished by the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus says these words in Matthew 4, kind of a famous story. He's out in the wilderness. He's out in the lonely place being tempted by the Satan. And he says to Satan, quoting from Deuteronomy, by the way. Your maybe your second favorite book of the Bible. According from Deuteronomy, he says, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. But by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. And what's Jesus getting at here? That for Jesus, who, yes, as the scriptures tell us in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days up until this point. And he comes to this point where he is being tempted to use the, the ability and the gifting that God has given him for his own selfish sort of ways and kind of advantage but Jesus resists the temptation of the devil to use the gifting and calling for his own self and quotes scripture, leans on scripture, is nourished by scripture to say these words. Man, humanity shall not live by mere bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, here we see just the beautiful evidence. Jesus is reliant. Jesus is nourished by the words of scripture. Jesus has been soaking his mind and imagination in the, in the working of Deuteronomy. Jesus is riffing off of even here, there's quotations from the Psalms that talk about God's words being like sweet honey to the lips. Nourishing and sustaining and life-giving words. Later on in the Gospels, the, the, one of the disciples, Peter, comes to him and says, Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That Jesus, by implication, his words bring life to our mortal bodies. And so as followers of Jesus, modeling our lives after him, there is this call to be the kind of person like someone talks about, to meditate on his word day and night, that we might be tr like trees planted firmly by streams of, of living water that in due season produce life-giving, abundant fruit. And it's as we soak our minds and imaginations, our, our whole lives and our bodies in the teachings of Scripture that there's a promise attached to that that we would be nourished. 
And I think if we're honest, this is where the rubber meets the road. That most days, if I'm being honest, I don't fully believe a line like this. I sometimes think I can find nourishment elsewhere. I, I think I can find motivation or inspiration or something to get me through my day in somewhere else. And we're berated with all different distractions and excuses and all these different things. Some of them are, yes, legitimate, and some, perhaps, if we're honest, not so much. But I think for many of us, we tend to believe the lie that God's word really isn't as nourishing as it claims to be. And I get it. There's a a bazillion reasons why the Bible might be hard to understand, it can be confusing, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, there is a promise and invitation that as we engage with Scripture, God speaks. Whether you have a PhD or have no schooling, whether you have read the Bible for decades or whether you've never read the Bible at all, but the promise and the invitation that God speaks, that God's word brings life. And just like God speaks in Genesis 1 and life comes forth, the same I believe is true. When we open up the scriptures, the very same God of Genesis 1 speaks and breathes life into our own lives. And so as we kind of think about this, as we kind of want to maybe just kind of land this a little bit even deeper for us in our everyday lives, how might we as followers of Jesus continually align ourselves that we might be learning from the scriptures in this way? What does it look like for us to be people here on the Monterey Peninsula that recognize that the Bible is a library collection that tells a redemptive story that leads to our formation and obedience in the way of Jesus that we might be nourished by the person of Jesus? Or just real briefly, here's that short phrase again, story formed nourishment. How do we sort of gauge, how do we sort of practice this as we head out the door and go about our week, Monday through Saturday? And how do we live this out? A couple things. A few questions with a couple practices to maybe attach to this. You know, as we talked about the Bible being a story, one of the questions that often comes up, one of the questions that I have even for my own life is how do I know if I'm living into the story of God? Like, how do I know that I'm, ac- that I'm actually living into God's story as revealed in the scriptures, as opposed to just kind of making it up as I go and doing my own thing? What, what might be a way of sort of gauging that or, or kind of diagnosing some of those things? Now, there's a lot we could potentially say there, so I don't want to just, like, limit it to what I'm about to just say. But here's one thing that really came to my mind is that how do I know that if I'm personally being sort of immersed in the story of Scripture rather than being immersed in the story of other things out there, is often just recognizing, like, what's the first thing that I often go to, especially with my phone? How many times is it easy in the morning or or in the evening, whatever, to just pull out my phone instead of being engaged with the text? Because it's a question of, here's another way to put it. It's a question of inputs. Where is your primary input for truth, for nourishment, for discipleship, for guidance in life? Is it from that that smartphone in our back pockets? Or is it from the truth and the sustaining nourishment of God's word? And so one thing that's just real practical with this 
is that especially if you're kind of one that seeks to engage the scriptures in the morning or you can apply this even to the evening, that I would challenge you not to even touch your phone until you've spent time engaging with the scriptures. Just try to make that a habit in your regular practice. Scripture before phone. And one of the things that's kind of really revealing for me, I just had this experience this morning, is that for some odd reason, it's about 9.26 every Sunday morning, I get a notification on my phone, the screen time notification, right? And it's like, I'm glad for that thing, but it's also this like moment of you click that and then you look at, it's like this like report card from Apple, right? From Cupertino. And then you look at this thing, and so I'll just tell you my, my thing, hour and 12 minutes average per day, and 82 pickups per day average. 82. Why do I need to look at my phone 82 times? And I'm, I'm awake for 12 hours of the day? I don't know. That seems like a lot. I don't know. But it, it's, it's, it's a way to just sort of evaluate, like, where, where are my inputs coming from? Not saying that the phone is bad, not saying social media is all bad, but it's, it's, it's to really be careful and cautious. What story am I living into? Am I living into the story of the algorithms of Apple News and Instagram and YouTube? Or am I living into the story of Scripture? Living into the reality that God has created this world good. Yes, man has rebelled, but God is making all things new. And I'm invited to participate in that story. This story that tells me that I am seated in the heavenlies, that my identity is secure in Christ. And then no matter what I think, say, or do, that I have a God who loves me and forgives me and who calls me to do the same to my neighbor, is that the story I'm living into? Is that the story I'm living into, that the story that says that God seeks to protect and to aid and come to the, 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 the need of the vulnerable and the, and the marginalized? The story that says that God is righting all wrongs, that God is a God of justice, and that God is pushing against the darkness of this world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so no matter how dark the algorithms of my phone tell me the world is coming, and it's true and I don't want to ignore it, where is this thing ultimately heading? That's the story that we're living into. So just as a, maybe a small diagnostic, just gauging that relationship between our phones and the scriptures. Using that screen time notification and maybe practicing some habits with prioritizing scripture before the phone. Just a couple things to think about. The second point, though, I, I talked about how the Bible is to lead to our formation and obedience. And it's kind of similar and related. But how do, I, how do I actually know if I'm not doing what Tim Keller talked about as far as just, you know, having this idolized version of God and just importing that onto the scriptures? How do I actually know if I'm obeying the scriptures? Because in this world that's so governed by self, it's easy to go, oh, yeah, I'm good. It's like that person over there, like they really have problems with following Jesus. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, like I, you know, I read the Bible. I've done, you know, one-year Bible plans, and I do them in like six months, so I'm like really good to go, right? <laughs> Here's perhaps a little diagnostic with this. I was talking with Tony earlier this week, and he had mentioned, what about this idea and the reality of, if we have been engaging with Scripture but have not for any significant period of time turned to God in repentance and fallen on our face, confessing sin, confessing areas of, of our lives that are not aligned with Scripture, perhaps we're just 
floating through and engaging with Scripture in a way that's not actually addressing the areas of our lives that are misaligned with the way of Jesus. If we have not had experiences and moments on a somewhat regular basis of turning to God in repentance, of God confessing the areas of my life that don't align with your way, then perhaps we're not just, we're just reading Scripture and maybe soaking in a little bit of story here and there. But is it really leading to that formation and obedience that Jesus calls us to? It's asking that diagnostic question. What does it actually look like to be the person, Matthew 7, that builds, builds one's life on the foundation of God's word? Not by just simply, you know, knowing all the stories or having a good systematic theology or knowing all the different ins and outs of the storyline of the Bible even. But being a person, a wise person, that hears the word, James 1, but actually puts it into practice. And that recognizes that I have moments more than I dare to admit that don't align. And I turn in repentance to Jesus. And I cling to the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that we hold on to that by the mercy of God. That we cling to that promise, recognizing that as I come to him, as his kindness is leading me to repentance, that there's healing, there's cleansing, there's formation and transformation on the other side. Last point, we talked about the Bible being something that nourishes us, that sustains us. And just real briefly to end here, how might we be a people that are nourished by the scriptures? There's, a, again, a lot of things we could say here about this. But one thing that I've personally been kind of wrestling with and growing, trying to grow in is very simply memorizing scripture. Not just so that I can, you know, check a box and, you know, you know, feel good about myself. Again, I mentioned I grew up in the church and sometimes there was this, you know, the, this program that we'd have in the middle of the week where it was all about, you know, for young people. Memorize, you know, a bunch of Bible verses, right? And you get like a prize when you come every Wednesday or whatever. And it's like, oh, you, measure, you memorize like five verses. You get like, you know, a hot rod card or something or something like that, right? There's like this, like, you know, carrot and stick sort of thing. That's not what I'm trying to do here. Dallas Willard, in many of his writings, he talks about the importance of memorizing Scripture as a way of basically carrying our quiet time with us throughout the day. As we internalize and hide God's word in our hearts, Psalm 119 is a way of saying, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalmist says. And as we hide God's word in our hearts, we're living into the reality of what Hebrews 4 talks about. The word of God is living and active. One translator talks about that same line in Hebrews 4. The word of God is portable and active, meaning that we can carry God's word with us wherever we go as we internalize it. And that we trust that what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things I've taught you. But by implication, though, we have to be people that are learning the things that Jesus wants to teach us. You know, Paul tells the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not just simply dwell in you, but dwell in you richly. Like this, this picture of being overflowing with the, the words of scripture, the teachings of Jesus. So that in these moments when we're faced with lies or deception or just anxiety or hurt or pain or confusion, that the words of Scripture would be bleeding out of our lives just like Jesus as he's on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
that in those moments of despair and hurt and pain, that what has been already, inter- already internalized and sown into us by the power of the Spirit shines forth and speaks freshly to that moment, that situation that we find ourselves. And so as followers of Jesus, I hope, I pray this for myself and I pray this for all of you, that we would be a people that are nourished by God's word. Nourished in the teachings of Jesus. So for this week ahead, I don't know what that potentially might look like for you as far as if there's a scripture that maybe God is calling you to maybe internalize and memorize and really even obey through that. Maybe start with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I love how one translation says, I lack nothing. That he leads me beside still water. And that you just allow those words in whatever moment or situation that you might be facing to really land. That you let the Spirit allow those words to land in your heart, in your mind, and in your life. Maybe it's not Psalm 23, maybe it's something else. But my hope and my prayer, and that I believe what the Scriptures are inviting us to, is to have this posture of living into the story of Jesus, being conformed in the image of Jesus through that and recognizing and receiving the nourishment that Jesus wants to bring through that. I want to invite the worship team to come up. In all these next few moments, we'll have an opportunity to just simply respond to God's word, to God himself. You know, again, when someone asks me why read the scriptures, my first response is because I'm a follower of Jesus. And as we seek to follow and pattern our lives after him, we recognize that it's, that it's Jesus himself. He himself gives words of eternal life. He himself, the scriptures say, for the joy that has been set before him, endured the cross, not, not despising its shame. And has led us and has given us new life. Has given us the opportunity to come and respond to him. And so as we turn now to him in worship, And we just remember the words of Jesus himself from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, we ask that you would help us in this moment. God, we ask that you'd help us by the power of your spirit, that you would conform and shape us and mold us more into the person of Jesus. God, I ask that you would just instill in us a desire and a love for you through your words. And like Peter in John 6, we would say, where else are we going to go? You alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. So Jesus, help us to build our lives upon you and the firmness and the truth of your word. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name.